morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Good to see you today. So glad you braved the storm and the winds and the gales to be in the house of God. I oh, know it's good to be together. Those of you who are watching online, so glad that you're with us today as well. We're continuing a series we're calling Difficult People. One of the questions have been, that's been coming up as we've talked about this series is, how do I know if maybe... I'm one of those difficult people. It's, it's kind of like, you know, our, uh, am I the difficult person? Is somebody else a difficult person? Pastor Ryan, who's our location lead pastor for the Goldsboro location, came up with a list this week, kind of Jeff Foxworthy style, that'll help you to, to decide if maybe you're the difficult person. So you just see if maybe this fits. Here's how it goes. You might be the difficult person if anytime you walk into a store, it's suddenly closing time. That, that's kind of, that might be a clue. You might be a difficult person if telemarketers hang up on you. That's a pretty good indicator. Uh, you might be a difficult person if you find out you're the center of attention at the party that you didn't go to. That, that would be a real clear indicator. And then finally, you might be a difficult person if you get fired from the unemployment office. If that happens, then chances are you're in that category. But whether you're the difficult person or you're dealing with a difficult person, I call them all heavenly sandpaper. They're the people that sometimes rub us the wrong way, but in fact, if you handle it God's way, they may rub some, rub some of the rough edges off of you, and you may find yourself being polished in the process. And so the goal of this series is not to identify difficult people because on any given day, it are us. Do you guys like this? The, the idea is for us to learn how to uh, to minister effectively, to, to love effectively the difficult people in our lives and in the process be loved ourselves when we find ourselves in difficult kind of circumstances uh, of life. In other words, to help in a healthy kind of way. Last week we talked about hypercritical kind of people. Next week we'll be talking about manipulative people. And so uh, if you know somebody that tends to be manipulative, maybe guilt tripping and such, it would be a great week for them to come. Maybe you'll discover some manipulation that you've been using, you don't even realize you're using it when you come next week. Then we'll finish up by talking about fakes, you know, phonies, uh, kind of toxic people. But today, I want to talk about a topic that, quite frankly, is not terribly PC these days. It's, it's a topic that, quite honestly, a lot of pastors really kind of avoid uh, these days because it's one of those topics that, you know, I, I might even get in trouble for some of the things I say today, okay? So they're just going to make you aware of this. But the bottom line is the Bible is not silent on this subject, so I, I can't be either. We have to address this issue, and I'm talking specifically about how do you deal with the, um, how do I say this delicately, the overly needy people in your life? How do you deal with those kinds of people. Now, let me be clear before we even get into it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to help people in need around us. Can I get an amen in the house anywhere, anybody? We, we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to scan the horizon, to look compassionately in the needs around us, and to care uh, deeply about hurting and hopeless people. Can I get another amen? Let's just let's be clear about that, and we should use every resource available to help wherever we can help. The good news is, of course, is that in a place like this, in a church like ours, you don't have to go very far because with our kind of welcoming kind of atmosphere, you know, where you can belong before you believe, we've got hurting people in our midst all the time. All we have to do is look around and, uh, and love on them and help them on their journey. The amazing part to me is that quite often the people who are genuinely in need, who actually could use some help, are either too embarrassed to ask for it or 
sometimes they've been beat up by life so much for so long, they don't feel like they're worthy of help. So they just kind of keep their head down. And I, if you're one of those people on either of those counts, I need you to hear me say, before we even get into our topic today, um, we want to help. We really, really care. We genuinely want to do what we can do to help you on your journey of life. And, and, and no, we can't meet every need that we're ever confronted with, but we want the privilege to try. And so please let us know what's going on in your lives. Open up, take a risk, let the wall down just a little bit, and let us get involved uh, because we want to do what we can to help you. So just understand, as we get into the message time today, uh, that's not the kind of people I'm talking about. I'm not talking about those kind of people who have genuine needs among us. I'm actually talking about, well, well let me answer it this way. There, there's actually four different approaches to relationships. Let me explain this to you. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. But let, me, let me walk you through it quite quick. Three different kind of approaches to the way we deal with people. First of all, there is the independent person. So what's an independent person? Anybody want, want, want to guess what that is? That, that's the person who says, I am a rock, I am an island, I can handle it by myself, I will pull myself up my own bootstraps, because uh, I'm a woman. You know, I can handle what I'm not, by the way, just in case you're wondering, that was a stupid joke. But you know, you know the type, you know, just independent, you know, I don't need help from, from nobody, thank you very much, while they sink. That's one approach. Anybody... Anybody believe that's healthy? Somebody say no, quick. It's not. It's a, it's a strategy for isolation and loneliness and pain. That's what it is. But then on the other side of the equation, there are dependent people. And what are dependent people? Those are people who are convinced they can't do anything for themselves. They need somebody else to do everything for them. Is, is there any seasons of life when it's appropriate to be dependent? There isn't no little babies. You know, babies are dependent on somebody to do everything. You've got to feed them. You've got to change their diaper. If they're sick, you've got to get them care. They, they simply are incapable of caring for themselves. And then quite often, you know, there are people at the other end of life. And, and some of you are in that season of life where, where you have been the child to your parent and now you're becoming the parent to your child. And, and they really are dependent and it's appropriate at certain seasons of life to help people that are in that dependent state. But in, the, in the, the bulk of our lives, dependence is not the healthy model either. Of course, that taken to an extreme becomes something that's been commonly talked about in, in recent years, and that's what we call codependent relationships. Anybody know what a codependent relationship is? That, that's where you are dependent on me, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I feel needed because you are needy. So I'm going to do enough for you to, to keep coming back, but I'm not about to do enough for you to get on your own two feet because if you no longer need me, then I don't feel needed. And so you develop this. Both of you really are dependent. Neither one of you are healthy. That's not the model either. So what's the model? If it's not independence, if it's not dependence, except for those unique seasons of life, it's not codependence, what is it? It's what psychologists call interdependence. The Bible talks about it without using that particular term. And interdependence says, I have strengths and weaknesses, and strengths and weaknesses. Well, guess what? You have strengths and weaknesses, and strengths and weaknesses. And when we come together and we bring our strengths together, 
and your strengths begin to make up for my weaknesses and my strengths begin to make up for yours, we are stronger. In fact, Ephesians 2 says that when we are fitly framed together, we become the habitation of the Lord. We become the building where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so it is that interdependence where I serve as I am being served. I love as I am being loved. I celebrate as I'm being celebrated. That's the interdependent model. So what we're talking about this morning is not that interdependent thing, and it's not the unhealthy stuff necessarily, uh, or certainly not propping it up, but it is talking about those people that have fallen into that dependent or codependent kind of state. How do we minister to them effectively? And again, a way that helps, but also in a way that is healthy uh, to us who are providing the care. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? I think maybe if we dig into the scriptures, we can learn some things that will be helpful to us, and I'll try not to belabor the point. I just want to pull out four simple principles. Let's just be clear. There are no easy answers to this one. Every case is unique. Every situation is unique. But there are some principles that you can begin to apply as you help other people uh, through life and as you become that compassionate person in life that can, again, be helpful to them and healthy to you. Let's walk through four principles. Principle number one is you've got to pray for a healthy compassion. Pray for a healthy compassion. Let me say what I said before. I'll say it again just to be absolutely clear. We are called to help others. Amen? And come on, say it with me. We are called to help others. You got it. Now look at somebody and say, we are called to help others. There's another way to say that. We are called to be like Jesus because that's who he is. That's who Jesus modeled himself to be when he was here on earth. Look, let's see how Jesus approached the, the desperately needed, needy. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep with no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus looked across the multitudes, looked across the crowds, and what was his emotion as he looked across to all the needs that were around him? It was compassion. That word compassion, I love it in the Greek because I can't pronounce the Greek, but if I say it real fast, you won't know that I did it badly, okay? It is splagnizomai. Was that good? Are you impressed? Splagnizomai. And, but it carries the idea with it of not just, you know, I care, uh, not even just I'm, I'm going to be loving towards you, but it's this kind of tender mercy that goes down deep. So it's not just sympathy, it's empathy. I don't just care about your pain. I feel your pain. Is this kind of, King James sometimes calls it the bowels of tender mercies. This is kind of this deep down kind of thing that you, you feel. Sad reality, just be clear, is there's, there are far too many Christians who have checked the box. They've accepted what Jesus did for them on Calvary like Lauren talked about this morning during our worship time. And they've, you know, they've made their arrangements. They're going to heaven when they die, but they come across a needy person and they go, I'm busy. i got too much going on. I ain't got time for that. i got plenty of stuff. i got needs of my own. I ain't got time for that. And there's just no compassion whatsoever, but Jesus modeled for us that when he looked across the needs around him, he was moved with this compassion that hurt to the core. And so if you're going to be like Jesus, this is not an option. You have to pray for healthy compassion 
for those that are in need around you. But, but the Bible is also clear that there are limits as to how much you should do when you act on that compassion. That's where the rub comes. So go with me to Galatians chapter 6. I want to help you to understand this. Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 5. Let's put those two verses together and see if we can figure this out together, okay? Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what does that say? It says that it is the law that you bear one another's burdens. That, that's, that, the law of God is that we do that. It's not an idea, not a suggestion. It's a law, okay? Go on. Each one, verse 5 says, should what? Should bear his own load. What? You, you just said we should be bearing one another's, and now you're telling me we should bear our, our own. Is, is that con- does that seem contradictory to you? Does that feel like a contradiction to you? Well, it may on the surface until you dig into the two key words that are in those two verses. The two key words are the word burden. I think I highlighted them. The word burden and the word portion or word load. Burden, if we get from the Greek word, back up please, the word baros. Anybody know what English word we get from baros? Burrow. So you ever seen a mule that's loaded down? I mean, it's a really powerful animal, and they pack those things full to overflowing all over the sides. So that's, that's an overload. Burden is an overload when you understand the word. The word load, on the other hand, is from the Greek word portion. What English word do we get from that? This is not a trick question, by the way. Portion. Portion. It's this idea that is my individual portion of the load. So you see the difference? That there is load, and then there is overload. There, there is burden, like a mule would carry, versus my portion of the responsibility. So let's take a little test. I got a picture. You tell me which one this is. Can we see the picture? Here we go. Is that load or overload? What's going to happen to the to the Jetta if they didn't get that overload off, if somebody doesn't help carry it? It's going to break an axle. It's going to be completely destroyed. That car will be useless for anything, even though the owner believes somehow I could carry this overload. The scriptures are clear. We should all be carrying our portion of the load. But every now and then, any one of us could be the person that's overloaded, and we need somebody to come alongside and help us with that overload fact of the matter is we ought to do it not just because we're being like Jesus but we ought to do it selfishly because if I help you next time you might help me (laughs) that may be the the only motivation you got but the bottom line is that we are called to help with the with the overload not the load so the first step in this journey is to pray for a healthy compassion I call it healthy because if you if you pick up the whole load then you've just moved into dependent or codependent territory. But what you're called to do is help with the overload while you help them to carry their portion of the load. I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to unpack that a little bit more, okay? Here's the problem. You often can't tell the difference between burden and load, load and overload, until you get close enough to find out what's going on. So let's assume that you found somebody, you've got compassion toward this person, you see a need, you're not quite sure if it's load or overload, so you start getting engaged with them. Now your time for the second principle. Principle number two is you offer people what they need, not what they want. 
You offer people what they need, not what they want. Have you figured out yet that hurting people often don't even know what they need? That they're hurting so bad right now, they're so overwhelmed right now, that all they really want is relief. And so they come up with this kind of short-fused answer to what would relieve them of the pain that they're in, when in fact what they need is more than that. The Apostle Peter modeled this one for us. Acts chapter 3 tells the story of Peter on his way to the temple. And when he got to the outer gate, there was a lame man who was begging at the gate. He had been there for a long time. Everybody knew this guy. He'd been begging alms. That's how he made his living and, and, and paid for whatever it is, his food and whatever else. And so Peter came walking by and, and he said, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. But Peter understood the principle that I'm trying to teach you this morning. And so here's what he said in verse 6. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I do have something else I can give you. By the power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, stand up and walk. Then Peter took the man's right hand and lifted him up. Immediately the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. He went into the temple with them, walking and jumping and praising God. You see the picture? What the guy was asking for was a handout, but what Peter gave him was a hand up. Through the power of God, he gave him what he actually needed not what he wanted the fact is all of us find ourselves in times when our when our judgment is impaired by the pain by the grief by the fear we're not even sure what it is that we need our perspective gets out of whack and so we don't even know what we need so we need somebody that's going to come along and be compassionate enough to spend enough time with us to figure out what's really going on so that in fact they can help us figure out what we actually need and see what we actually need so if you're a care provider for someone right now or tomorrow for that matter your first step is slow down a little bit pray for a healthy compassion and then pray for wisdom to be able to look beyond the words that they are saying all the way to the real need which begs the question how do you do that how do you, how do you know i mean i hear their words i see they're in pain but how do I get past the words to the genuine need? Well, I think there's two things that we have to do. You may want to jot these down if you're taking notes. First of all, we have to look at the, at the context. We have to look at the whole situation of what's really going on. So let me give you an illustration. Let's say that somebody comes to you and says, uh, brother, brother, I'm going to bind. Uh, they're about to repossess my car, and, and, and if, if I don't make this car payment tomorrow, they're going to take my car, and I can't get to work, and I'm going to be in trouble. Will you make my car payment this month? Should you make your car payment? Maybe. Maybe they've been in an emergent situation and some circumstances have come up that, that's gotten them behind, and maybe by helping them with that car payment, you're actually helping them to keep going to work so they can get back on their feet. Maybe they're in an overload situation because of some other circumstances. They've had medical expenses or they've had a crisis or two come along. Maybe that's exactly what they need, but quite often what they actually need is to learn how to budget. And so if you really want to meet their need, you might make their car payment, but you also may say, let's help, you know, let's have earned the right by serving you to say, let's take a look at your finances and let's show that you're making, uh, that you're living within your means. Otherwise, guess what? They're going to come back next month and say, can you make my car payment again? And you've done, what you've done is to create a dependent 
person, and that's what we're trying to avoid. So you slow down, you pray, you listen with compassion long enough to get past their words to the real situation of what's really going on. The second thing you look for is you look at their actions. What, what are they actually doing about the situation before you get involved too far? They may be saying, you know, my problem is I can't find a job. You know, I'd be glad to make my car payment if I could just find a job, but I can't find a job. And as you start talking to them and find out, so what are you doing about finding a job? You find out that they aren't actually looking for a job. They're waiting for a job to show up. Anybody ever been in a situation where you needed a job? Is finding a job a job? It's one of the most discouraging jobs out there, isn't it? It's a really hard job to find a job. And so it's easy to get discouraged when you're in that kind of place and go, man, I, I, just, I, just, I just quit. I just can't do this anymore. And so maybe what they need is their car payment this month, but what they really need is some encouragement to say, hey, let's sit down and look at the want ads together. Hey, let's make some phone calls and find out who's hiring. Talk to me a little bit about what your skills and interests are. What are some things that you've done in the past? Let me help you find a job. Is this making sense? Had a guy come to me one time a few years ago now. First time to the church and uh, met me in the lobby. And he was a hyper kind of young guy. And and he said, "Uh, preacher, I heard there's a lot of pretty single girls here, and I need a wife. I've come to find a wife. And I said, well, you know, I guess whatever got you here, come on in. Just don't be harassing my ladies now. I'll be just coming after you if you harass anybody, okay? So the second week he came, he came up to me in the lobby again. He said, man, I love the church. Did you find me a wife? I need a wife. I said, well, I haven't actually been looking you a wife. <laughs> you know, third week he came in and said, are you praying? Praying that I'll get a wife? By then, I've had enough conversation with him that I've got a pretty good sense of what's going on. And I said, step over here, brother. Let's chat for a minute. And I got him over in a private moment. And I said, you know what? You know what I need to do is I need to pray that you'll be healthy enough to be able to care for a wife before I pray that you get a wife. He didn't like my answer. He went away. But I saved the ladies in our church a whole lot of pain. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you listen beyond their words to their situation. You look beyond their words all the way to their actions before you actually commit to get involved to do something because the goal is to develop a healthy enough compassion for them that you actually give them what they need, not what they want. But it's more than that. You help in a way that's healthy for you and helpful to them, which is why you need the third dynamic, the third principle that I want you to get this morning. And that is, again, before you offer to help, before you offer to do anything, you've got to set some healthy boundaries. You've got to set some healthy boundaries. And this is where the rubber meets the road for an awful lot of Christians And that is, you know, for followers of Jesus that I've known through the years for myself, there's no problem with caring. There's no problem with willing to help, want to help. There's no problem with with seeing needs. In fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the chances are the more needs you're going to recognize around you because you become more other-centered in the process rather than self-centered. And so those aren't the problems. The problem often is drawing the line on where to stop. Is that true? It's how far do I go in helping to meet this need in a way that honors Christ? Well, the good news is Jesus modeled that too. He modeled boundaries. Look at what happened in one of the examples from his life, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. 
This is at a time when Jesus' popularity is growing. He's out touring the countryside. He's preaching the good news. He's telling people that I have come to set the captives free. He's come to tell the story of the Savior, and he's touring the countryside. Well, Mark chapter 1, early the next morning says, while it was still dark, Jesus woke and left the house. He went to a lonely place where he prayed. Simon and his friends went to look for Jesus. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Jesus answered, we should go to other towns around here so I can preach there too. That's the reason I came. You follow what's going on? He's touring. He's preached the good news in this town. He's gotten alone with the Father, which he often did, to have his quiet time with the Father for a little while. The disciples come rushing in and say, Jesus, come on back. The people in the town are begging for you. They want more. Come on back. And Jesus' answer was, I'm sorry I don't answer to the people of the town. I answer to the one who sent me. And he's told me to spread the good news across the whole region. He set a boundary based on God's purpose for his life. He set boundaries so that he could accomplish God's call on his life. Here's the surprising part to many people. The right thing for that town was also the right thing for Jesus. And for everybody else, because they got the good news, everybody else needed the good news, he had to continue moving forward. And somehow that's hard to wrap our brains around, but there is no conflict between what's healthy for you and what's right for them. You just have to figure out what God's telling you to do. Have any of you guys ever read Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries? Anybody ever read Boundaries? Very few in first service, maybe a few, uh, maybe a few of you have. If you haven't, let me encourage you to get it. It's a simple book. In fact, he's written a whole series of books on boundaries now. But Henry Cloud's a Christian psychologist, great book, does a great job with it. But the introduction to the book is, uh, it just tells the story in a lot of ways. He tells a story about this uh, couple who have a college-age son uh, who has flunked out of school for the third year in a row. They make an appointment for their son with this counselor, and they, they, they said, we'll meet you at the counselor's office. They get to the counselor's office. It comes time for the appointment. The son doesn't show. So the counselor comes out and says, uh, well, you, you paid for the hour, so why don't you just come on in and let's talk. And so the parents went in and sat down with the counselor, and, and he said, well, so tell me what's going on. Why did you make this appointment for your son? Well, you know, our, our son has a real problem. Um, when he finished high school, we asked him what college he wanted to go to, and, and he picked the one he, he wanted, and he got accepted. And, and so, you know, we wrote the tuition checks and the, and the dormitory fees and bought books, and, and he went off to school, and he started out fine. But by the end of the second semester, by the end of the first semester, he's kind of, you know, losing interest. And by the end of the second semester, he's flunked out. He came home for the summer and laid around all summer. And as the summer progressed, we finally said, dude, you got to get up. you got to go. Where, where are you going to go to school? And so he got in another school, and, and we paid the tuition, paid the fees, and bought his books, and he went away. Same thing. By the end of the first semester, he's lost interest. By the end of the second semester, he's flunked out. He's done that three years in a row. We just don't know what to do about our son's problem. And the counselor said, you understand what the real problem is here? No, that's why we're here. We want you to tell us what the problem is. Your problem is your son doesn't have a problem. You have a problem. Your problem is your son doesn't have a problem in the world. He's got it made. He goes to school, makes some new friends, parties till he flunks out, comes home, lays on the couch, and then does it again. 
your, the solution to your problem is give your son some problems. <laughs> you see, what was happening is they created a dependency, maybe even a codependency, that ultimately was not healthy for them nor helping him. So you've got to learn to set some boundaries for your sake as well as for that person's sake, the person that you're trying to help. Let me mention three areas where you set boundaries just quickly, okay? First of all, you set boundaries in the area of words. And I've got to be honest, this has been a tough one for me. I, I, I take this test over and over again. I retake this test. I fail this test. Uh, it, it's, it, it, I don't know why it's been difficult for me through the years, but it has. So people will come to me and say, Pastor, can you help me with this? And everything in me wants to say yes. Everything in me wants to go, well, sure, yeah, what can I do? How can I help? And, you know, and before you know it, I found myself in a situation that, that I don't have the time nor resources to help with, but I don't have the courage to say no. It feels wrong to say no, but I don't actually say yes, so I just kind of dance around, and, and then they go away because they wanted to hear yes, and they didn't hear no. They go telling people I said yes, which puts me in a position where I have to do it, whether I could have, should have, would have, or not, because I didn't say no. Anybody relating, or am I the only one? You can leave me up here squirming. Kim tells me I'm really bad at saying no, and she's right. In fact, I'm so bad at it, when I finally do it, I tend to say it too bluntly. So I'm just kind of, that's been a real journey for, for my life. So I actually rehearse this verse. I do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus said, I like the way the message paraphrases it, just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Why can't I say no? Because I'm afraid you won't like me if I say no. It's a lack of courage on my part to say no. So hear me. What I've learned through the years, what I am learning through the years, is when you're asking me for help, I'm praying. I'm listening, but I'm praying. Lord, give me a healthy compassion. Don't let me just kind of shut these people out and, and kind of move on. Give me a real compassion, a compassionate heart. Help me to see what they actually need, not just what they want or what their words saying that they want. Give me the wisdom to understand my role in all of this. And if I'm not the one who should or I can't, then give me the courage to say, well, I can't, but let me help you find the person who can. No, that's not something I can do, but maybe I can help you find somebody who can. Some of you need to learn that. In fact, some of you need to rehearse saying no right now. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on, let's say it together. <gasps> no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do for the person that's asking for your help because ultimately it's not healthy for them or you for you to say yes. The second boundary that you need to set is time. Time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 5 says there's a time for everything, a time to embrace and a time to refrain. So sometimes when people come to you and, and ask for your help, you need to, and the, the, you think the caring answer is to say, sure, sure, sure. 
Man, I, I got no place to be. I, I got no place. Can, can, I, can I come stay and crash at your place? Sure, come on, crash at my house. And then a month later, six months later, eight months later, you're having private conversations going, how oh, are we going to get this guy off the couch? Come on, he's been laying here for a month and a year. What, what are we going to do? And so maybe the boundary that you set up front is, okay, sure, I'd be glad to give you a place for a month while we look for you a place. So you don't, you're setting a boundary that's got a time limit on it, and you're saying up front, I can help you with this. This is what I can do. I can't do that. I can do this. Well, can you help me on Saturday? Well, sure. Oh, I promised my kids or my grandkids I would take them somewhere on Saturday, but they'll understand. Do you understand that mercy always costs Somebody? There's no such thing as free mercy. We sang about it this morning. Lauren talked to you about it this morning. Even the grace of God, while it is free to you, it wasn't cheap. It cost the very life of Jesus Christ. So when you extend mercy to somebody, I'm not telling you not to be merciful. I'm just saying pause for a moment and ask yourself the question, who's going to pay for this mercy? And if you keep saying to your kids, well, I can't because I promised over here, understand they are paying for the mercy that you're extending. Be careful about who's paying for the mercy. You may find yourself charging a bill you can't afford. It may be a price you really ought not to be paying simply because you didn't have the ability to set healthy boundaries. The third boundary that you need to set, words, time. The third boundary is resources. You need to set a boundary on resources because have you figured out yet that resources are not limitless? We're constantly confronted. You're constantly confronted with needs. I mean, turn the TV on and flip the channels, and you will see a never-ending list of needs on TV, the vast majority of which are valid. But there's a point at which you say, I can't do all this stuff. I have to put a boundary on what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. Our church has a, an, an, a very active emergency fund. We call it the Bread of Life. Pastor Andy Stovall manages that fund, and, and, and he does. He helps a lot of people. Through your generosity, we're able to, to bless tens of thousands of dollars a year with people whose electricity is going to be cut off or, or their gases and their water is going to be cut off, and we're able to help them through these things, get them food when they're in a crisis situation in their lives. We're able to help. But early on, Pastor Andy learned in leading this thing that he had to set some boundaries. So he asked questions like, you know, is what constitutes an emergency? What created this emergency? What are the circumstances around this emergency situation? To the point that we've actually put a boundary in there now that says you, you get two requests a year, once every six months. And, uh, and uh, short of that, if you don't have a genuine emergency that we see, you know, that we're actually helping, not hurting, then the only thing we can offer you is budgeting. Because there are people who will live off the system if you let them. And what have you done? You just created dependent people or codependent people. You set boundaries. 
That may seem hard. That may feel hard. But the truth is, I did the same thing when Kim and I were in the Philippines as missionaries. What well, We would go into the most remote parts of the country with the poorest parts of the world, and we'd start a church, and the congregation would get going, and then they would send a message to us, okay, our congregation is established. We need a building. Will you come help us build a building? And when I'd go, I'd travel into the remote areas, to the boonies we called it, and we'd get to these remote areas, and I'd say, okay, uh, what, what you got in mind? You got a plan? What, what, do you, what you got? What do you bring into the table well we don't have any money oh i understand that but what, what can you do well we can cut trees and make columns and we can cut bamboo to make the walling and we can cut grass to make nipa roof lines and okay great so what do you need well uh, it'd be really nice if we had some bags of cement so we could pour a floor and, and maybe some nails to nail things up because we don't have nails okay gotcha I'll do the concrete and the nails. You do the, the post and the bamboo and the nipa. Well, guess what? We just partnered. I made them responsible for their portion of the load, but I came along for the overload, and the result is they're proud of their church. We had a friend who retired from the mission field, 45 years on the mission field while we were there, and, and late in, that, in his career as a missionary, he decided he wanted to build one building that was kind of a monument to his years up in the northern mountain provinces of Luzon, and he built this fabulous building, beautiful concrete windows, you know, wooden pews, the whole deal. He went all out, built this beautiful building, and he was so proud of his building, and he told everybody about his building and showed pictures of his building until one day he got a telegram from that remote part of the country saying, sir, your building needs painting. When can you come and paint it? And he was so mad. He said, what? I built that thing for them. It didn't cost them a dime. And, and they won't even take responsibility to keep it painted. Well, it's because it isn't their building. It's yours. If you'd give them some of the responsibility, then they might have some of the ownership. But he didn't want to hear that. Hear me, guys. Our goal is to help with the overload and to help them to become responsible to handle the load. You understand that word responsible can be broken into response-able? That when you give them the ability to respond, you give them the ability to be responsible people. So hear me, setting boundaries might feel uncaring, but in fact it is the loving thing to do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So our job is to help them do what they can in order to grow. So if you work your muscles in an appropriate kind of way, what happens to your muscles? They get stronger. If you use it, you improve it. If you misuse it, you lose it. And so if you sit still or lay around, those muscles atrophy. We want to help them become strong, not dependent, but interdependent parts of the body of Christ. I've got to close, but let me draw one more line, one more principle, and then we'll wrap up. So you do need to pray for healthy compassion. You do need to pray for the wisdom to know what they actually need, not just want. You need to set healthy boundaries. I can do this, but I can't do that. I can do these things if that's helpful to you and meaningful to you, remembering that mercy costs somebody Make sure that you know who's paying that price. And then finally, accept. You've got to accept that every need is not a calling. 
that every time God puts a need in front of you does not necessarily mean that he wants you to drop everything and go meet that need. Sometimes, we've already read it, sometimes what he wants you to do is pray the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers to meet those needs. Sometimes a need creates a vision to go do something. Other times it creates a passion to pray, and you have to discern just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. This is a surprise to some people, but God cared for people. Jesus cared for people more than anybody else that ever walked this earth, but he didn't meet every need he was confronted with. He didn't. Sometimes, we talked about it a few weeks ago, he says to his disciples, they're hungry, you go feed them. Hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we're called to serve, to do. Other times we're called to pray. Ultimately, ultimately our call is to point people to Jesus Christ because what they really need is not their car payment paid alone. What they need is not just food on their table alone. What they need is Jesus Quite often, there is a void that they're trying to fill with stuff. And the only thing that fits that void is the God who made them and loves them. So our job is to point them to Jesus. So we're Jesus. We're the hands and feet of Jesus to them, not so that we will be their Savior, but so that they will see the Savior in us and look to him. And when we do, we now have met their eternal need. That's the highest calling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being your hands and feet. What an honor. Oh, you, could, you could meet every need if you wanted to. You spoke and the world came into existence, but you, you chose to create a system by which you work through us to meet the needs around us and the only way that system works is when we pray for a healthy compassion and, and then we take the time to actually think through, process through, pray through what are the real needs here, not just the wants or the surface wants, but the real needs here. It only works when we follow your example and we set healthy boundaries and ultimately making a decision whether this is something that you've called us to do You've called us to pray for the laborers to raise up to do it. And I pray for that wisdom for everyone in this room, for everyone that's watching online. I pray, Lord, for that wisdom for each of us that we would be the compassionate people you've called us to be. We'd be like you. And ultimately, help people in a healthy way that's good for them and for us. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. It's just me and you and God, just a private moment before we go. I dare say it's possible that there's someone in the room right now or maybe watching online right now that maybe you're coming to recognize there's a void, there's a hole in your soul, and you've been trying to fill it with stuff, and nothing quite fits. There's still an emptiness there. God sent you here to hear this white-haired preacher say, the only thing that fits that void is Jesus. Won't you invite him to come in? 
Won't you invite him to come into your life? Won't you invite him to become the center of your life? Invite him to fill that void? And you may well find out that he is the answer to so many of these other felt needs that are going on in your life. These things that you think are preeminent, but in fact are not nearly as important as your eternity. So would you pray a simple prayer with me this morning? It goes something like this. Jesus, I realize I need a relationship with you. All these other things are real needs, but none of them are as important as having a relationship with you. So forgive me for trying to get stuff to meet my needs. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to realize that you ultimately are the one that will fill this void. And I thank you for accepting me just the way I am, helping me to grow. In Jesus' name, Father, you know every person in this room, everyone watching online, you know exactly what's going on in our lives. Draw us to you, Lord. Help us to find your strength, to be your hands and feet, to be healthy, interdependent people, led by you and empowered by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being in the house of God today. I'm so glad that you're here today. Would you stand with me? The altar team is here. They would love nothing better than to pray with you. If you've got a need, I said, if it's a need, we want to do our best to meet it. Let us know. The prayer team would love to talk with you and pray with you. Please don't leave here with a need and say, well, I'm just not going to say anything. Let us know. We may not be able to meet every need, but we want the privilege to try in a healthy kind of way. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Look forward to seeing you next week. We'll talk about manipulation and how to avoid it. Father, bless Bless us as we go. Keep us safe on these wet roads and bring us together again at the appointed time. Use us this week to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Stop by the Bridge to Hope booth and check out the medical facility. Uh, It's an opportunity to learn more about what they do.